You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hello to our Tremendous Leadership listeners to the Leaders on Leadership podcast, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk with leaders of all ages and all stages of their life about what it takes to truly pay the price of leadership. And today, I am tremendously excited to welcome my guest, Dan Moore. I want to tell you a little bit about Dan Moore. I've known Dan for decades. Dan has known the Joneses for even more decades. But Dan recently retired as the president of the Southwestern Company, which has been building leaders out of young people for the past 150 years. And for those of our listeners out there that have been book boys or book girls, I was one of them selling books door to door in between your summer breaks and colleges. You're just going to love this. This is the man. He started with the company as a freshman at Harvard and he never left. Dan, not many people get it right, right out the gate. So I'm excited to hear all about it. Thank you for being here and welcome, Dan. Honored to be here with you, Tracy. As you said, your family means a great deal to me. So this is a really great privilege. I love it. And my dad, he loved the book kids. That's how I wanted it up selling. And he's like, Tracy, he would speak to your sales uh, conferences, whatever city he'd host the Southwestern kids, he and Gloria at the house. And you people out there, I know summer's over, but anytime a book boy or girl knocks on your door, <laughs> you be kind to them because they're out there learning some really incredible things in life. And Dan, as I understand, even with COVID now, Southwestern company is bigger and stronger and more profitable than it ever has been. Is that correct? We certainly had a record year in 2022, and I think a very close year this year, although it's too early to call. And I'm so grateful for the leadership that we have because it is all about leadership. When you get through something like COVID, that for everyone was a real huge issue. Many people lost family members, lost loved ones. For many businesses, it was a huge challenge. For our case, going door to door, what if we couldn't go door to door? That was a really important question, what you might call an existential crisis. But the leadership for our company came through in such a great way. And I couldn't be more grateful for the young men and women that made it happen. Well, I can't wait to hear all about it. So Dan, let's get right into it. You knew my father and you knew the two mm -hmm. things that he loved to talk about, in addition to God and Gloria, were motivation and leadership. And his speech, The Price of Leadership, has been given thousands and thousands of time. And in it, my father talks about four things that you are going to have to be committed to paying to truly be a leader and not just a leader in name only. The first of those is loneliness. And we've all heard that saying, it's lonely at the top. And I used to have friends and then I got in leadership or management. But can you unpack loneliness for us, maybe a time where you went through it and what counsel you would give to our listeners? Absolutely happy to do that, Tracy. I guess a little bit of background. My upbringing was in a small town in Northern New Mexico, wonderful family, no real challenges to deal with, did well in school, did well in sports, popular, et cetera. When I got into Harvard, it was a bit of a different story. And I felt as though I couldn't compete, mm. which I could actually compete, but I believed I couldn't. So I developed kind of a massive inferiority complex, which I covered up some really negative behaviors my first year in college. So when Southwestern Advantage came along and a guy named Marty Fritzen stopped his tray in front of mine in the dining hall and said, hey, are you a freshman? I'm a senior, I want to chat a bit. And introduced me to the program. I thought this is a chance for me to get back on the success trail. I really don't remember being homesick or lonely at all that first year in college. But once I got to San Antonio, Texas to sell books, your father is the one that got me through that first period of loneliness. I was sitting on a street corner feeling sorry for myself because the night before I'd been under a street lamp looking at my map and some local guys came by drinking beer and throwing beer cans at me. thought it was really funny. And I sat there feeling sorry for myself and I pulled out the book they gave us in sales school called Life is Tremendous. And when your father wrote in that book, the first law of leadership is learning to get excited about your work. 
I remember thinking, well, that's one thing, Charlie, but you've got a really cool job. I'm sure I'm a door-to-door salesman. And he said, not the job you wish you had, the job you have right now. He said, that's not the same as working because I know I work myself out and into oblivion a half a dozen times. It's getting excited about your work. And there was a cartoon of a guy with a stack of paperwork on his desk this high and he's going, Woo! he was all excited. And I jumped up from that moment. I said, he's right. I've got to get excited about what I'm doing right now. And I stopped being as lonely. So your father got me through that very first event. Tracy, that was 1974, 50 years ago this summer. And one of the most important things that I have upstairs in my library is this portrait that your father sent me about a month before he passed away. And he just said, my beloved Dan, Acts 2024, Charlie Tremendous Jones. See, your father's counsel and advice and guidance were essential to my young, young living and getting through those lonely periods. And I guess one thing that I've been learning over the years is that each time we have an opportunity to move up, we don't get moved up before we're ready. We get moved up because people think you can do it. And even if you don't think you can do it, if we prepared ourselves along the way, we actually can be the effective leader that we want to be. One of the things that your dad wrote about in the loneliness part is that every level you're going to be lonely if, in fact, you want to be a leader. Because by definition, the leader is ahead or stands out as some a little bit different. And loneliness accompanies almost every different, different stage of this journey that we're all on. So when he says the first price of leadership is loneliness, I remember experiencing it as a first-year dealer, as a student leader, as a sales manager, going between campuses, trying to talk to students about working with us. Nobody wanted to work with me that summer. And I remember just crying, breaking down, literally crying in front of my new wife. She said, what are you so upset about? I said, I don't think I can do this. I can't do this. I'm so lonely. I'm working so hard. And I was a newlywed. She's the only one that kind of got it. But the fact of the matter is loneliness means we're going to do something a little different. We're going to step out away from other people and hopefully lead in an effective way. When I first became president of our company, it was a huge honor. The man that had it before me, you knew well, Jerry Heffel. In fact, Jerry said, tell you hello as well. Today, he and I spoke by phone. And the very first thing I did was approach one of our top sales leaders. And I said, I sure need your help. I'd love it if you take over the sales function. And he said, well, actually, I'm getting ready to resign. And so my very first blow was realizing, oh my gosh, this guy I thought I could partner with is not going to be part of the team right now. It was a real blow to my confidence. But that's when I realized this is what leaders do. It's okay to feel lonely. What we have to do at that moment is hug our mission, hug our mission so tightly, believe in it so strongly, the loneliness eventually dissipates. So different levels, that's what's hit me about this issue of loneliness. I don't know what to say, Dan. I mean, you're talking about how sometimes loneliness is self-imposed, like when you went to Harvard the first year, and then we think, well, we're not good. So we've kind of ostracized ourselves. So that's self-imposed loneliness. But then also talking about loneliness stepping out. So you, what makes you a leader and not a follower is stepping out. But I love that, hugging the mission. Charles would have loved that too, as a big <laughs> hugger. And know your purpose. And, and I think dad really talked about that in Life is Tremendous. You're going to have some of your great years and next year you're going to have your worst year. And the only thing, never talk about productivity or getting back on track, go back to your purpose and why. And so when you talk about hugging your mission, that's what always, always brings it back. And thank God you had a wife that didn't coddle you. <laughs> And tell That's you, right. come on and cry on my shoulder. But he talks about that too. He was like, Gloria was just like, okay, so we've got kids. You got to get back out there and get to work. And he's like, if you have a wife that just says, hey, and clocks a ticking, be thankful. So I'm glad she was there for you to help be that sounding board for you. 46 years this December. That's beautiful. Oh my gosh. And tell Jerry I said hi too. That's 
Oh my gosh, this is going way back. And thank you for sharing that dad, that dad said that. And he said that if you can't get excited about the job you're doing now, forget about the job you're going to have because the proving ground, it's easy to get excited about the things we like to do, but that doesn't happen that often in life. Most of the time you're going to be doing things that you kind of don't really want to do. And if you can get excited about them, that's a secret to success. So how many years were you with Southwestern before you took over as the president, Dan? Well, let's see. I started 1974, became president in 2007. So whatever that would be, right. quite a few years. Yeah. So 37 our, years, I suppose. So our, for our listeners out there, it, timing. And like you said, Dan, you will come into the spot when people think you're ready to come into the spot. And I know uh, some people want to get their jump steps or jump the ladder, but sometimes it takes decades, decades and decades. And that's okay. Just stay the course. So that's phenomenal. I love it. Okay. Loneliness. The next step my father talked about is weariness. And you've alluded to some of that. And he's like, Tracy, you're going to be working with some people that are doing way more than they should, a lot that are doing way less than they should. And it's tiring. And a lot of people just tap out because I just can't do it anymore. How do you deal with weariness and stay at your top form, Dan? Most of it has to do with self-talk. In other words, we talk ourselves out of doing our very best much more often than we talk ourselves into doing our very best. So I've learned over the years, anytime I say I'm really tired, I need to put it in perspective and realize I'm really not. I got a nice home. I've got air conditioning. I've got a fine car. There are people that have none of those things. They get up every day. They do their job. They do the best they can for their family. They try everything they can to move forward. I'm really not that tired. So I think that's a real breakthrough is the way we think about it ourselves. We can feel weary, legitimately physically weary, emotionally, mentally, sometimes even spiritually weary. But those are the times when the Lord said, lean into me, lean into me. I'll make sure I never forsake you. You'll never be alone. So that weariness can go away because he said, I will give you rest. And when we have that feeling in our hearts, we can breathe deeper. One more demo, one more call, one more thing, one more memo, one more presentation. We can do one more. Always we can do one more. Absolutely. And you talk obviously about your faith and I am aware of that. How do you dial that in? Do you start the morning with that? Do you do devotions? Do you Sabbath? How do you stay with the creator who can give us the power that we need to do the things that we need to do? Spent the first 20 years of my life not really being aware of that at all not even knowing him. So it was my fourth summer on the field that through the influence of a sales manager who shared his story with me, that I finally realized that this is what I really need in my life and my eternity. So at that moment, when I accepted Jesus into my life as my savior, things didn't become easier. In fact, I had my hardest year in the business ever after I made that decision. As a young, naive person, I thought, okay, now that I'm a Christian, everything's going to be really easy. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. He kind of doubled down at that point. But we know that from the first book of James, that the trying of our faith makes patience. So we should count it all joy. Mm. I love that word joy, count it all joy. So every morning when I wake up, I have my first thought. It used to be my first thought was, man, I wish I could sleep another hour. It used to be my first thought. But my older brother passed away at 58 about 10 years ago. My baby sister passed away at 46 about 20 years ago. And when my brother died, I woke up and I said, gosh, I'm now an orphan and an only child, but I'm still here. So every day from that point till this point, my first thought in the morning is, thank you, I'm grateful, I've got another day. It's absolutely how I start every day. Thank you, I'm grateful, I've got another day. And then I might say, I wish I could sleep another hour. <laughs> but leaning into that thankfulness, that gratitude, that sense of, I've got this opportunity, let me use it as well as I can. It's a really big one. Helps overcome weariness too. Well, and I love it. And I love that you use the word orphan. When I lost Gloria four years ago, I don't have children and my both my parents were gone. And I remember somebody telling me, oh, now you're like an orphan. And I was like, I can't believe you said that. 
because now I can't get this out of my head. But that's what Christ said. He goes, I'm going to leave you and you're going to be orphans, but not for long, because I'm going to send mm-hmm. you the comforter and the advocate and the Holy Spirit. And so you lean into that with, like you said, with your eternity. Now I claim my inheritance and I know I'm going to see my family on the other side and my brother, Jerry, who I lost. And so it does, it get, when, but otherwise it is a little bit when you finally hit that and go, wow, I'm alone. And then you're like, no, you're not alone that's what Satan wants you to think. So thank you so much for sharing that, that really tender memory. Okay. Loneliness, weariness. The next thing he talked about was abandonment. And Mm. I'm a big pet rescue person. So abandonment is a very bad word. And fear of abandonment is a bad thing. But Charles really talked about abandonment in a sense of pruning and hyper focus. And I can remember him telling me, Tracy, I do more in a day to contribute to my failure than my success. Every day I have to abandon what I like and want to think about and do in favor of what I ought and need to. And you've touched on this before, but Dan, how do you, because I'm sure in your role, so many new ideas, so many wonderful things, and you're crafting the business for the future. So you always have to be open, but you have to be very tightly focused on what your zone of gifting is and what your calling is for the organization. How do you stay abandoned to all the stuff that you shouldn't stay focused on? Mm, That's a difficult, challenging question about which many books have been written, I'm sure. In my own mind, I think the important thing is realize that every single individual human being has limits. And when we view ourselves as unlimited in our ability, we're actually not even telling the truth because we all have limits. When we have associates and colleagues and younger people and people that want to move up and want to learn things, we limit them by having that belief. That sense, I've got to do this. I'm the only one that can do this. And even though that sounds contradictory, the leader is a lonely person. The leader should always be looking to the people around them and giving them opportunities to fail chances to grow and opportunities to fail. So I had to abandon the sense that I had to do everything myself. In fact, I can remember exactly when I hit that point. It was in the mid eighties. I was trying to lead a team of people down the organization a bit, really struggling with lots of things. And I had this little plaque on my desk that said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. One of my alumni came in. He said, Hey, that's a lot like my sign, but his sign was different. His sign said, it can be done. Now the difference between I'll do it, which is very self-centered and it can be done is a huge, huge difference. So I had to abandon the idea that I'm the only guy that has any any brains. I'm the only guy that can get it done and give other people that chance to grow. So as a leader, I suppose my main goal was always to help people have resources, means, and a listening ear and some guidance, but never to try to do their job for them. For first of all, I wouldn't do it as well as they could do it. And every time I'd say, this is what I want done, this is exactly how I want it done. It was a huge mistake. Instead of saying, this is what I want done. How do you think you could do it? And they come up with the most brilliant, amazing, clever, and creative ideas in the universe. So abandonment to me was abandoning the idea that I'm some kind of wonder boy. I'm the only guy that can get it done. Couldn't be farther from the truth. That was a really big lesson. And hopefully I've been able to continue that throughout the whole course of my career. Have you ever heard the poem, The Indispensable Man? I don't think I have. Okay. So I just came across it last month. It came out probably 50, 60, 70 years ago, The Indispensable Man. And every time I bring it up, people are like, oh yeah, I've heard it. Very much the same thing. It's all about keeping your ego in check because we do the best we can. But you know what? Tomorrow, if you're gone, the world will continue spinning on its axis. So do the best you can. And really it's about pouring into the lives of others. So it's a very poignant thing that really helps you remember, keep it. And your comments reminded me of my favorite patent quote, never tell people how to do things, tell them what to do, and they will surprise you with their ingenuity. So Mm -hmm. I I just love what you talked about there, just allowing them to bring the creative stuff and that it can be none, not all do it because that's how weariness, that's how we burn ourselves out. And yeah, that nobody likes working for somebody if the boss is going to do everything. Not only that, it causes people to lose their own hope that they have a future here. Yes. Yes. So giving people that chance to grow is so important. 
So true. All right. Thank you, Dan, for that. Loneliness, weariness, abandonment. The last thing my father talked about was vision. And growing up with all these visionaries, I was always like, well, they have different blood coursing through their veins or they have, they're wired different. And he's like, Tracy, vision is just seeing what needs to be done. So there's this visualization or attraction and then doing it, the action piece. And I'm like, well, I can do that. So it was always very encouraging to me. So how do you, Dan, what does vision look like for you? And how do you continually look to the future of the best possible version of what you and your enterprise can be? To me, vision is often mistaken with financial goals. People would say, this is our five-year vision to be an X million dollar company, to be this size company. To me, that's a financial goal. It's not really a vision. A vision is a state of future affairs that we'd like to be able to see. And all the financial dimension is an important part of that. There's the people element is so much more important. Years and years ago, sometime before I was born, the company developed a motto, building character in young people, building character in young people since 1868. And that's what I grew up under. And that was a really powerful mission statement, a really important one. But we found over the years, as students would become maybe a little more cynical, a little bit more influenced by outside people, they said, what's this character stuff all about anyway? I don't need character. I need a good resume. So we modified it. And we decided that the whole key is, can we be the best organization in the world? Not the biggest, not the largest, not even the fastest growing. Can we be the best organization in the world at helping young people develop the skills and the character they need to achieve their goals in life? And that vision has always been the core, at least as long as I've been in leadership at the company. And so to me, vision means really seeing something big, because really your dad talked about SIBKIS, see it big, keep it simple. The keep it simple part was we'd always ask the question after we make some big decision or in the process of making a big decision, is it going to help our young people achieve their goals in life? Or is it just something we think is a shiny good idea? Because mm. if it won't help them achieve their goals in life, it doesn't really fit our mission. We don't fit our mission. Our vision is never going to happen. So the vision of being the best organization in the world, that's a really tough one because there's some amazing organizations out there helping young people. Right. We're going to keep working it, keep striving. And, and the team that's there after me, it's the best people we've ever had in the world. The new president of the company is a young man you know very well named Dave Causer. And Dave is somebody that's in the business longer than I've been. What a blessing it was when he stepped up to that mantle of leadership and said, yes, I'll take that role. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing that on vision. And I love that. It really keeps you purpose oriented. Everything back. Is it going to help our young people achieve their goals? I wrote that down because I'm on several college boards and stuff. And that's a really great thing to say. Yeah, because I know it may look good from our level, but if you're not helping the young people achieve their goals, that's a great qualifier. That's kind of a litmus test for any decision that you'd make if you're working with any organization like that. Yes, absolutely. And the raising the future leaders. Okay, Dan, so we did loneliness, weariness, abandonment, and vision. I want to open it up now because, I mean, you have just really laid some just incredible truths and wisdom on us. Thank you so much. I got about a page and a half of notes scribbled down. Um, but <laughs> what else do you have going on? I think you have a new book coming out, and I'd like to talk about your book. I'd like you to share with our listeners about the Southwestern Company in case they want to get involved or anybody out there listening or has kids or grandkids or great-grandkids. And then what's next for you now that you've retired? What's the next chapter look like for Dan? So first of all, could you tell us about your new book coming out? Sure, happy to do that. The idea of a book is something that probably a lot of people think about over the course of their lives. And somebody says, oh, you ought to write a book. I got really serious about it probably eight or nine years ago. I remember exactly when it happened. A presentation I developed over the years for students primarily on how to prepare for a future that nobody can predict. And what it had to do with is the rate of change so incredibly fast. The many students would start a subject as a freshman in college, and by the time they're a senior, it's already obsolete. 
And so this rate of change created all kinds of scare and uncertainty and what what am I going to do for a living someday? Everything's changing so fast. What hit me all the time is that it's internal qualities that get us through anything. It's true in your background in the military. It's the internal qualities that get people through in business, the internal decision that keeps a marriage together, the Mm -hmm. internal factors that keep a family growing. So to me, the internal part was, can I become more self-aware? Can I become more effective dealing with people? Can I be more resilient? Can I be more emotionally flexible? So I began to give this presentation on campuses. Students always kind of enjoyed it. Occasionally, they invite their parents to come. In the University of Colorado, Boulder, I gave the presentation. I still remember the evening. We were in the environmental science building, and a young man came up and said, I want you to meet my dad. My dad's here. So dad walked up, shook my hand, and said, have you written this into a book? And I said, no. He didn't smile at all. He said, you should. And he walked out. That's kind of what planted the idea in my head. So the next year, I sat and I started writing it, and I thought, okay, this can be really easy. Two years later, I'd only written two pages. <laughs> so a colleague challenged me and said, Dan, I want you to finish that book this year. So Maria and I went to her home. She grew up in the beautiful Azores Islands, which are part of Portugal in the middle of the Atlantic. Took a long break. And I remember taking out my laptop, sitting in a coffee shop and just started writing, wrote 80% of it. And the whole key to that is understanding that if we can develop these internal skills, these internal characteristics, we're going to be better off in life. The name of the book, it deals very much with something we all learned when we started selling books. Do you remember the phrase, control what you can control? Don't worry about the results. And when we sell books, we can control certain things, control our effort. We can control our number of demonstrations we make, et cetera. We can control only a few things truly though in our lives, even our attitude. We always think I can control my attitude. If you can do that, you're a better person than I am. Because I've learned over the years, things can throw me off my stride. Left field curveball comes in, knocks me in the head. But we can influence our attitude. We can certainly influence other people. But the most of the things that happen in the world are things that we can neither control nor influence. And as I looked at people just kind of hitting their head against that wall over and over, it occurred to me if they'd spend some of that emotional energy, maybe on some things they could control and more on the things they could influence and the things they just need to accept for now, just put them on the side. And that's actually the title of the book, Control, Influence, Accept, for Now, Coping with the Future Nobody Can Predict. And really very excited about it. I had tremendous feedback from various editors, from advanced readers, people that just said, this would be better, do this, do this, do this. So kind of a collaborative effort there. The book is due out on October 31st, this year, 2023. It is available for pre-order now through Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, et cetera. I'm just mostly excited because of some young people. And I regard young people as anybody on this side of the earth, by the way. I still think I'm a young person. You are. Can continue to grow throughout our lives, whatever those lives mean. This can be worth it to us. So that's what the book is all about. Oh, that's so important. And I love that. And that's what Southwestern taught me. It's about processes and habits. And people have these wild outcome goals. The outcome goals are the hardest because there's so much beyond your control. But the procedures mm-hmm. and the processes, how many doors you knock on, how well you prepare, all that stuff, that's the stuff that I can control. And if you follow that, then success, then you'll hit the outcome goals. So, so important because I think people are losing that. And a lot of the divisiveness is, well, they got it at the cost of you. And it's like, no, 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 no. Experience and opportunity are equitable, but you're bringing these truths out there, these immutable truths for people to understand. Charles would always say, nothing works unless you work it. And so teach them how to work in a manner that brings the goals that they're looking for is, I can't wait, can't wait. Very exciting. And we'll put the links out there for that too. Thank you for that. Yeah. And now talk about Southwestern Company. Yes. So grateful that Marty Fritzen, my student manager, took the time to seek me out in the dining hall. And a little bit of background again, at Harvard, the dining halls were closed for the freshmen on weekends. So the weekends is when we ate in the upper class dining halls. Most freshmen were not really feeling very welcome by these upperclassmen. 
So when Marty came across this tray and just said, hey, you're a freshman, mind if I join you? I learned later that was his style of prospecting for team members that he wanted to have. But there was something about Marty that just hit me as unusual and a bit different. And as he told me about the program, I realized this could be something great for me. The only problem was I didn't know how to sell. And everybody I thought I talked about it, thought it was the dumbest thing they'd ever heard. In fact, some of them said, if you do that, you're a bigger idiot than I think you are. So I decided not to go, but Marty was pleasantly persistent, invited me over to a meeting, and I met a man named Jim Calder. Jim became my district sales leader. Less than 10 minutes into the meeting, I knew that Jim had something I needed in my life. Mm. I met another young leader named Sam Wee, and Sam became one of my most important friends and mentors throughout my entire lifetime. That's the essence of the Southwestern program. Although the product line has changed over the years, when the company started back in the 1850s, it was entirely a Bible publisher. Now, while those do sell some Bible-related products, they're only about 3 or 4% of total sales. Everything else is educational products for families of kids. So the product line can change. We're very automated now. We have brilliant apps, brilliant websites that people can subscribe to to continue to get great educational input for their kids. Best books we've ever had in our history are on the line today. But the essence of the program is still about a young person becoming everything they can be with mentorship, with guidance, stripping away all their background experiences, stripping away their social media, stripping away their image, just me face-to-face with a person at their home. It's the most elemental form of communication, most elemental form of developing ourselves. And that program continues in a big way this year, last year, and every year in the future. Over the years, we've had many students from around the world participate. In fact, about half the students who participate now come at their own expense from Europe to be here in the summertime and do this. So it's just been tremendously gratifying to see the company change, adapt, and grow while staying really, really true to that whole mission. It's an amazing thing. And people can reach out even to host students that come over to sell, correct, for the summer? Oh, yes. Yeah. Almost everybody stays with a host family in the summertime. Okay. Mm-hmm. So just for the listeners out there, if your kids are grown or already out on their own, but still now, do all college campuses have this? All college campuses could have it. We don't have every presence. We're not a president at every school. Okay. In fact, there's about 3,000 colleges in the U.S. alone. We're not going to be at all those schools. Sure. But because of online access, we get many, many applications from people all over the country as colleges where we may not currently have a presence. When that student gets started, they can then build their own presence. Exactly. And that's the thing about it. And they start you out. And then the next year is you bring your own team. And I think, like I said, you don't stay in your hometown. You go to a different right. area. So if you're that's like, right. oh, my college doesn't have it for the kids, still check out Southwestern because you will go to a different area that does have a presence and a force. Correct? Is that still the way it works? That's right. Okay. That's right. The name of the company is now Southwestern Advantage. And the reason for that is Southwestern itself is diversified into many different companies. It's now called Southwestern Family of Companies. Mm-hmm. So Southwestern Advantage is the name of the student program. It conveys beautifully exactly what it's about. It gives students an advantage throughout the rest of their lives. Yes, it their does. families that buy the products have an advantage for their families as well. So southwesternadvantage.com is how people can find more about the program. Yeah, well, everywhere I go, every book I publish, to include my one coming out next week, I always talk about Southwestern because dad told me that he's like, if you can go out there and cold call and knock on a door and make a connection with somebody who goes, that's one of the hardest things in life you're going to have or have to do. And if you learn how to do that early on, and I'm like, good, let's get the hard stuff out of the way. You know, and I just remember, like you said, that mano a mano, that one-on-one, how to connect with somebody and stay persistent when you're getting door slam, door slam, door slam. Man, I was so thankful. So thankful. When I went in the military after Southwestern, People are like, well, aren't you scared or getting yelled at by the general? And I'm like, I sold books door to door. I'm really tough. You know, they <laughs> got nothing on me. I can sell in That's a heat right. and get chased by dogs and turkeys. And you just don't even worry about me. I got this. I got this. <laughs> All right. So Dan, now what's next? You retired from Southwestern. What's next for you? 
still very active with the company in certain ways as an advisor, as a consultant. And one of the companies we started in the UK in the year 2002 is called SBR Consulting. It's a sales enablement consulting company. I'm still involved with them. In fact, I've got a training program coming up next month in New York where I'll be delivering training to some clients. I hope to keep involved with that company as long as they'll have me. They're doing tremendous work helping the corporate world develop many of the same principles, skills, and attitudes that young people develop in this program. I've also got another coaching company based here in Nashville called Southwestern Consulting. So it's SBR Consulting based in Europe and then Southwestern, sorry, based in the UK. It used to be part of Europe, based in the UK. Got a big office in Prague and then Southwestern Consulting here. And I try to give them advice and help whenever they seek it out. They're just doing fantastic things. So I'm no longer on the board of directors, but I'm very interested in what happens with our company. Henry Bedford, our CEO and chairman, is just a brilliant leader, a really close touch. And as much as I can support the students, of course, I'll continue to do that. In retirement, the whole goal for me and Maria is to focus, first of all, on our personal wellness, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Because again, my family didn't live very long. My siblings did not practice good health habits. And as long as God has blessed me with a decent brain, I've got an obligation to stay healthy enough to use it, try to help some people along the way. So we're definitely prioritizing that. My wife is a yoga instructor, and the yoga has helped both of us from a spiritual development level as well as physical development level. Just learning how to let go and let God is such an important aspect of all of that. Keeping that going, keeping my running going. My daughter talked me into doing my 25th half marathon in October. So that's going to keep rolling as well. We're doing different kind of travel. We slow down a little bit, get more involved in the culture of a, of a place, plan to continue that. And with any success at all with the book, hopefully the message will continue to spread and grow as I have a chance to travel and, and speak and share these ideas with people. In the meantime, I'm just going to grow into every day, live into it, see what happens and do the best we can to be responsive to what God wants us to do next. I love that. And for our listeners out there, we will have all Dan's contact information. And if you can reach out to him or if you have a sales team, you've heard the kind of wisdom that he has to offer in his years of experience. And if he can motivate college kids to change their life, I think he can help motivate your sales team. So I'll make sure that gets out there. Dan, just thank you so much for reaching out. You've always been a constant presence. You guys still support. You buy our books. You buy my books. You buy Life is Tremendous. And I'm just so thankful that you keep doing, keep raising the bar on helping young people and for what you've meant to my father and to me the last 15 years that I've been back. That's so wonderful. Thank you for that, Tracy. I'll share one or two other thoughts with everybody, first of all. Your dad had so many characteristics that were incredibly moving and powerful. You can distill a lot of his words into a couple of really key lessons. One is the importance of humor. He used humor not only with people in groups, but in his own life. His ability to laugh at himself and laugh at his own foibles and his own mistakes and weaknesses was just legendary. Made all the rest of us feel like we could actually do something as well. He had a very unique style of humor, as you well know. I got to tell you about the very first time I met him in person. I'd read his book many times and they said, Charlie Jones is coming to town. We're going to have him speak in sales school. I was so excited. I went to shake his hand. He gave me a big bear hug, hugging me. Your father was a really big man. I think he was probably six foot three and just hefty, hugging me, just squeezing the life out of me. So I did what anybody would do. I hugged him back. And he whispered in my ear and said, don't hug back. Act like you're trying to get away. People are beginning to talk. <laughs> and it was just that tremendous sense of humor, that, that ability to, to help people just feel good about themselves. He was talking to one of my colleagues one time. And uh, he said, well, Charlie, let's get together for breakfast tomorrow morning. Charlie said, okay, eight o'clock. He said, yes. And if I'm not there, it means the rapture came and you weren't saved. <laughs> Oh, he was. Well, the other thing he said to me about door to door before I went out my first summer 
in Princeton Bluefield, West Virginia, right on the border there. And he said, Tracy, he goes, if you see they're going to shut the door, he goes, put your head through the door, not your foot, because that way when they go to slam the door, you can keep talking. And I'm telling you, when I would see they kind of coming back, rather than cry, which happened from time to time, I would just bust out laughing, thinking about dad saying, no, just keep talking kind of thing. So right. yeah, he did have a sense of humor. He also had a tremendous love for music. He spoke about music therapy for getting us through the difficult times in our lives. And of course, at the farm out there outside Harrisburg, he had an entire little house dedicated to music, mm -hmm. an old player piano, every kind of instrument under the sun. And it didn't matter if he could play or not. He said, pick this up and blow into it. Let's sing together. Let's sing some hymns. And he was just amazing with the power of music. It can change our spirit, can change our direction, and really move us in great ways. It's also been said that whenever we sing, we pray twice, that God was the inventor of music. The greatest songwriter that ever lived was King David. And so when we sing, we pray twice. The father really was big in sharing that with all the rest of us. And probably the third thing that I just want everybody to remember about your father is that he was an imperfect human being, but he was a perfect example of being a human being. Imperfect because everybody's imperfect, but he was a perfect example of that. And he inspired and developed so many people. He's a huge impact on my life. And my son, Daniel, who's turning 39 this week, he and Charlie connect when Daniel was eight years old, and he mentored Daniel, tutored him, helped him learn some things. And Daniel actually rewrote Life is Tremendous for a younger reader and sent a copy of it to your dad. Your dad sent him the most glowing note, sent him a $50 check just out of nowhere. Just a really cool connection that they had. So thank you, Tracy, for continuing that on. And Charles, tremendous. I know you're there. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Dan, so much. And I'm going to put all the information for where you can get a hold of Dan, his websites, his contact information, and his email. So you can definitely stay in touch with him. Well, Dan, I can't thank you enough. My soul is full. I'm encouraged. You just taught me so many wonderful things. And I'm excited for the book to come out. I'm excited we reconnected at this stage. And brother, just keep on doing what you're doing. You do the same, Miss Tracy. I sure will. To our listeners out there, thank you so much for the honor of taking time out of your schedule to tune into the Leaders on Leadership podcast. Please be sure, check the links, reach out to Dan, stay in touch with him. Be sure and pick up his book. If you don't have a copy of Life is Tremendous, make sure you get a copy of that too. And we would love it if you would hit the like and subscribe button and the honor of a review just to share with other leaders that are going through this, how this message has blessed you. That would be absolutely tremendous. And to all our listeners out there, remember, you will be the same person five years from now that you are today, except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. So make them both tremendous. Have a tremendous rest of the day, everyone. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.